Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Many employees sign non compete agreements when they take a new job, but are these agreements an element of the free market or are they a market failure? Do they benefit employees and entrepreneurs or act as roadblocks to upward mobility? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, it's a real privilege today to have the president of the R Street Institute, Eli Lair, is joining us today. And uh, Eli, we always appreciate the the work of R Street and uh, all of your uh, experts and contributors there. They they make such a difference on our program, and uh, it's nice to have the the boss on the program today. Well, I, I'm flattered, and I'm so glad that all the people who work for R Street make me look good. They are all smarter than I am, and I'm just really pleased to be here, Boyd. So thanks for having us, and thanks for having people on our staff as well. Uh, well, that is the key to great leadership, is to always uh, hire people who uh, know more and uh, have a different angle than you do. And uh, But you had a, a fantastic piece in The Hill uh, talking about an, an area that a lot of us think about every once in a while, usually when we have to sign one, uh, dealing with non-compete agreements and uh, what they are, what they mean, and some of the changes that are coming and how those changes should be made. And so just for our listeners, just kind of give us a tee up in terms of what actually does that mean when you're signing a non-compete? Uh, what does that look like in the country right now? So a non-compete agreement, which currently covers about 30 million U.S. workers, about 10 percent of the overall population, is an agreement with an employer that you will not go into business for yourself in a similar line of business or go to work for a competitor. And in my judgment and in the judgment of many people, these are egregiously unfair and should be done away with. Uh, and you focused in your, your piece on the Hill that uh, that non-compete agreements uh, not only have been uh, a failure, but they've been a component that has suppressed wages and even suppressed innovation. Tell us a little bit more about that. So... They really do two things at two ends of the labor market. For lower wage workers, say somebody working in fast food, having a non-compete that they couldn't go into another fast food chain uh, makes it hard for them to search for higher wages. If Burger King is paying a buck more an hour than McDonald's, an agreement that says you can't go to work for Burger King makes it very hard for somebody, particularly just starting out, to look for higher wages. At the other end of the job market, for the most skilled and highly paid individuals, they're an enormous disincentive to entrepreneurship. Mm. Many companies, really most great companies you've heard of, are started by people who were at one company, learned some things, thought they could do it better, and did. That's how Apple Computer famously started. 
Uh, it's how HP famously started. Right. Company after company started this way. Uh, it's so interesting. And, and so as you start to look towards the solution, this was uh, the part of your piece that I love getting into how we actually should be going about it. You cite some uh, some examples of some states like California that has uh, had a ban on non-compete agreements, uh, why this needs to be done federally, but how it's done uh, really matters. Explain that for us. Right. So California's had great success with its uh, ban on non-compete agreements. It's the reason why Silicon Valley is there probably. Now, in terms of how it is done, the best way to do it would be through the law. The Federal Trade Commission has proposed some regulations instead. These regulations are well-intentioned, but they probably aren't going to achieve all the good that could be done in getting rid of non-compete agreements. And in some ways, they might even set the cause back. So good intention, but wrong way to do it. This is something that Congress should do. Yeah, and so I want to dive into that a little bit deeper because this is an area we always say what is done by executive pen is usually undone by executive pen. But the thing that I want to get to, and you alluded to this in, in your piece, Eli, uh, and that is that doing it by executive order, not only does it usually end up in the courts, but it also tends to create greater uncertainty for the very people that you're trying to help. Precisely. Now, this in this particular case, it would be done by FTC rulemaking rather than executive order. So it would be slightly more difficult to undo. But the basic thing is that particularly for people who might be starting new companies, something that can pretty easily be undone for another rulemaking or maybe even an executive order is something that is not going to give the certainty that investors need to back startups. Mm. And for people who are looking to start a new business, who are the ones who employers are most likely to go after, unless they and their investors can be pretty sure that non-competes aren't going to be enforceable, uh, they're not going to get the investment. So from the standpoint of encouraging innovation, a rule is really demonstrably inferior to a law. And that's what we need is a law to ban non-competes nationally. And uh, just describe for us in terms of what that might do. If you had a state like California who has a ban, you have other states that have maybe different levels of bans or and some who, who don't at all, uh, describe just how that uh, wouldn't work uh, and also how that would uh, disincentivize a lot of companies uh, in terms of how they go about uh, their business and their hiring. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, right now, we do have a hodgepodge of laws all over the country. For people in certain states, it's pretty good. In fact, it's a big benefit to California that it's the one big state that bans all non-competes. So in certain states, it wouldn't change anything. But in states that do have or that do not have non-compete bans or have only limited bans on non-competes, it would make it much more attractive for innovative people to stay in those states. Mm. And also, it would make it easier for lower-wage workers to switch jobs in search of higher wages. Honestly, for California in particular, we are many people 
with really innovative ideas uh, relocate to California, specifically because non-competes cannot be enforced in that state mm. um, or against that state's residents. For California in particular, it might even hurt a little bit to right. have the same standard nationally, because right now California is the one big state. Um, I want to say Oklahoma and Nebraska are the other two okay. that ban all non-competes. Okay. So now let's now let's dive into this in terms of how we move forward. Again, having uh, Congress do something at the federal level. Uh, describe this uh, kind of in two pieces, Eli. Uh, one, you talk about how if the FTC just does this by rule, um, how that might slow it down. And then I know there's some bipartisan work going on out there uh, that could be part of that national solution. Right. So there are bipartisan bills that were introduced in both the House and the Senate and are going to be reintroduced if they haven't been already uh, this year, the new Congress that would ban it. If it's done by rules rather than by legislation and the FTC just steps in and does all of this itself, then uh, that would take a lot of the momentum Mm. out of the need to do legislation. Well, you might get some results more quickly from the FTC rule. The FTC rule is certain to be challenged, even if it survives every challenge, can be undone pretty quickly and easily. Uh, It's not going to give the level of certainty that a law would. What the regulation seeks to do is a good thing, but this is just the sort of thing that we should have done by Congress, not by executive branch rulemaking. Yeah, and that that is the key. And uh, what do you see on the horizon in terms of uh, that bill getting any kind of traction? Well, the announcement of this FTC rulemaking may take out some of the traction. Nonetheless, uh, this is a bipartisan bill that would have a big effect and a good one on a lot of people's lives. If Congress, which of course is divided in any number of ways, wants to accomplish something good, something where, for example, labor unions and free marketers are generally on the same side, that will help a lot of people. This is something with bipartisan support that the president's administration wants to do. The president will obviously sign it if it were to pass. And it's exactly the sort of thing that Congress can do to show that it can do things. And if people want to have a Congress that gets stuff done and Congress itself wants to reassert its authority, this is a perfect place to do it. The fact that the rule is there, that Congress acts, therefore making the rule unnecessary, could be a very good thing for Congress to do, just as a statement. So I'm hopeful that this can move forward and that members of Congress will realize that this is a good idea for just about everyone. Yeah, fantastic. Great insight. Uh, Eli Lehrer is the president of the R Street Institute. Uh, Always appreciate your perspective and uh, the great organization you lead. Uh, Eli, thanks so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure to be on the show, Boyd. Thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and step aside for some quick commercial break. Uh, interesting insight there from Eli, for sure, uh, in terms of how those non-competes work, how it's a hodgepodge right now, state by state. What's the federal component of this? Should it be done by rule in an executive branch agency? Uh, I think there's better ways to do it. Congress needs to do their job, and it's, and there is an opportunity to do that. There's a bipartisan bill that could be brought to the floor, could be debated in amendment and amended, and that's what we actually have to get to. All right, we're going to step aside uh, for a commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to go back to my conversation in from hour number one, my conversation with Representative Chip Roy from the state of Texas, talk about where Congress is, Speaker of the House battle, and what comes next. Stay with us.
with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.